welcome to Pure Hustle Podcast. Today we have our interview compilation part one, uh, where we take some of our first interviews and go through and kind of find some of the highlights from those interviews and and, and condense them down to give you kind of a, a refined version, I guess you could say, of our first five interviews. So uh, we've got a great lineup today. Our first five interviews included the Craigslist Hunter, Hustle at Home Mom, Wade's Venture, Son of a Son of a Seller, and the College Picker. So you're in for a treat. Uh, we hope that you enjoy this compilation episode. And if you haven't heard the interviews in their entirety, go back through and listen to them because they are amazing. Thank you so much for listening. Episode 59, Craigslist Hunter. So what do you, and this is kind of out of nowhere, what would you say, and maybe you've already shared this, what was one of your biggest scores you would say in your reselling career? And then one is, what if you want to share, you know, you don't have to share your biggest mistake in reselling, but you, it'd be helpful to know, <laughs> just so we can all learn and, and, you know, what were the steps that led you to make that mistake? So why, why don't we start with the, with the bad, if you want, Pete, like what is something you wish you had avoided or you had done differently? Uh, hmm. I think, and it's for a lot of people, concentrate at the beginning and really figure out, especially now these days, because a lot of, there's a lot of changes at the moment, shipping. Okay. Shipping at the moment, if I could knew and understand from the get-go, it's a, it was a game changer for me to actually learn and know what you're doing. And especially when you doing bigger stuff like I did, even at the beginning, so sending a lot of heavy, big vintage electronics, because I lost at the beginning on some of this stuff. I had no idea what I was doing, you know? I mean, putting, you know, and this is, I'm talking even years ago, putting, you know, $12, $15 on something that I'm going to ship that was 50 pounds and it's going to go across America and it cost me, you know, $40. And then all of a sudden, all the profit disappeared. So this was a, at the beginning, maybe not a mistake, but something that I would concentrate more to learn because I got burned, you know, at the beginning and we had to figure out, you know, okay, now I can use freight for this or UPS ground or FedEx ground. So learn those those steps at the beginning uh, because it will save you a lot of headache and it will save you a lot of money, you know. What else as far as like bad, bad stuff? Um don't buy and sell things that have an expiration date that comes up really quickly. Okay. So did you have a bulk <laughs> buy? You got, because you're going to have a problem on your hands, you know, not only either from a site that you're selling on, but from the people that are going to get the stuff and it's going to be expired. So pay attention to that. Yeah, you don't want to be responsible um, for someone's stomach ache, right? <laughs> Now, and I'm not only talking, guys, about food products. Don't be stupid like me and buy a software that it's for doing income tax. I remember this. And you, and you don't pay attention to the date and you spend crap load of money. You oh. put it on the side. You title with the correct date that you're thinking it is. You ship out 200 of them Ooh. for a few thousand dollars, and then every single one of them is a return. Oh. Pay attention. Okay, but here, here's the <laughs> thing. 
this is this is good for all of us to hear, right? Because if Pete can't end up, I mean, you know, that's a that's a big deal, right? And but you recovered, right? You still were able to resolve it. So what I know you shared this, it was in a video because I remember watching this video, but real quick, how did you resolve that issue? Because that looks like monumental. Like, how do you fix that? Well, the only reason I resolved, I lost a few thousand dollars because I gave everybody a freaking refund. Okay. That that was, you know, to save so I don't get million bad feedbacks and, you know, very unhappy people. Uh, it actually cost me double because the way I was doing it, people that took me up on it, I paid for their new software. Oh, wow. So I gave Huge. him a refund and I said, listen, buy a new software and I'll pay for it. This was exactly a few years back when we had all this craziness going on on eBay. If you had too many bad feedbacks, and oh, too many it was cases, terrible. they would shut you down. So I was doing everything in my power to save my. And I did, but cost a lot of money, but I did. So you always got to pay attention what you're buying, you know, because it could cost you. Okay. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that happens. You know, I mean, I, I've I've shipped expired ink, uh, but that's a much smaller scale. But you know, it's the same lesson. You've got to you got to pay attention to those small details because big or small, I mean, it's it, it, it'll yeah. it'll bite you. I mean, there's nothing wrong with shipping expired ink, long as you let people know. Yeah. People still buy it, right? Yeah. I mean, don't long as you disclose it. But what I did, telling people totally opposite, this is all good, new, <laughs> brand new, this date, this date, and it was totally wrong. You know, so. Um, yeah, it happens. It happens now going to the first part of the question. Yeah. The, the, the positive side item, the best item I can tell you right now, because I just shared it a mm -hmm. couple of videos ago. I made a video about it. Um, and I tell you, if I could, I would be just buying and selling cosmetics. Mm. I'm telling you the market ladies will do anything to look pretty for us. Simple as that. No, simple as that, really. Cosmetics sell, and they sell in huge volume and big numbers. Uh, and there's lots of companies out there, obviously, in this market, but they're all making it, mm -hmm. right? Because it's 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 just huge. Um, and me, when I had an opportunity to buy um, the big buy that I did for, for cosmetics, it took me... And this was only part of this whole buy that I bought. I'm still selling different stuff. But this particular product that I bought that I paid about $10,000 and took me a year to sell a little tiny little tubes, but it made me 30 grand. Mm. You know, yes. So so when you look at it in a, in a smaller picture, this is something that you're buying for $10, right? To sell it for 40 to profit that 30 bucks. But when you look at the bigger picture, you invest $10,000 and you get $30,000 profit out of it. You do few like that. You're golden, right? Yeah. Every oh, year. Yeah. yeah. If you could scale like that, that's, that's amazing. That's, that's, that's what this game is all about. I think if you can figure out how to scale it like that, that you have those few products that every, this one is going to make you 10,000 this year. This one is going to make you 17, this one 30. This one's 62. You're golden. It, it takes time. And it's funny because a lot of pe a lot of times people will message me actually quite often. And they ask, can you share the information? It's like, 
if I share with you, if I tell you, I'm going to have to kill you. <laughs> I mean, this is years of me working, networking, finding connections to find some of the deals. Of course, I'm not going to share you. So like if you could give uh, a young freshman in high school, like life advice, they're, they're at that point, that age where they're starting to figure out who they are, like what? What would be the thing that you wish somebody told you when you were 14 or 15? Uh, three things, I think. And I think number one would be patience. Because I think, and it's not even younger people. It's, it's, it's kind of across the board. People just are impatient. So if you can, if you can figure out that in a young age, okay, that would be great. Just be patient. Whatever you're starting, put your mind to it. Hard work will be next. Just like go at it. Really, you know, do it. Don't give up right away. And um, and then if you figure out, make sure you actually enjoy that, what you just did. Because if you don't, no matter how much money it brings you or whatever you're going to do, you, it's going to make you miserable eventually. I would rather, I mean, seriously, and I had some, I had to go out and get some corporate jobs out there too. And I had them for a little bit. And I tell you, man, it's not for me because it's just not my thing at all. But if I would have had to do this for 10, 15, 25 years or sit in some kind of cubicle or something, I would kill myself. So figure out what you really enjoy and stick with it and be patient. And I think eventually it's going to pay off. Uh, but you got to enjoy it because it's so much better, right? When you get up and you really enjoy what you're doing, it's not really work. I mean, and I know I sound like a broken wheel because it's been said so many, but it's so true. It's so true. If you really, truly enjoy what you do and you are patient about it and you're hardworking at it, it's a breeze. And also that's three things that I would say to somebody that it's, you know, so, yeah. so for you, it, it, it could go either route. It could be be an entrepreneur. It could be go to college. It could be work on Wall Street. All, all three apply to those. Like you're not adverse to people going to school or people trying to find a nine to five. That's what makes them happy. Absolutely. I mean, I'm not against school in any way. Although if you guys know, I'm, I'm a dropout. Um, but both of my girls, I pushed them to school and both graduated, you know, with big honors, you know. One of them is a doctor, another one soon to maybe be a doctor as well. I pushed them really hard. Uh, so I'm not against that at all whatsoever. I mean, whatever makes you happy, meaning like inside, deep inside, you want to be entrepreneur because you like hustle, do it. You are creative. You want to be you know, you want to build things or, you know, be an engineer. I mean, just whatever really, really honestly makes you happy and your life is going to be so much more appreciated and, and you, it's so much easier for you. You know how many people are struggling out there right now, even though they make good money, but they get up in the morning and they have to go and do the gig that they hate. They've been in it for 12 years, but they're so locked in in it because they have a car payment, they have a mortgage, they have three kids, they got this and that. And it's just like, they can't get out. They're locked in, you know? So, and it's like, what do you do? Like, what do you do? So from the get-go, if you can figure that out, your life is going to be so much better, man. 
I try to ask myself every couple of years that same questions. What's going to happen within the next few years? And it's been <laughs> 20 some years yeah. later, you know. Um, so you kind of always really, really don't know till the end, right? Because it, it, it all depends. I mean, something could happen tomorrow and we have no more internet and we are all screwed, right? Basically. And I'm happy that I have my brick and mortar then. But um, but I think one big thing that both of you guys mentioned now, that the ability that this business gives you, a flexibility and that lifestyle, I don't think you can do many other businesses no. the way you can play this business. Like we said, okay, this week I'm going to work 12 hours. Next week is going to be 68 and the next one 40. But this one I'm taking completely a break because I got to do something and things are still rolling. How many businesses are out there that you can do this like that? You know, I know, yeah, you got to get your feet wet and things going. But eventually when you get it going, you can, you know, you can do this like this pretty much all the time. Mm -hmm. If you are doing, I don't know, roofing business, construction business, you step away and things are falling. You step away. You only work 12 hours this week. You're not making any money, period. You know, so it's like if you especially if you're playing like one or two person game, I'm not talking bigger operation. Obviously, you can scale a construction business, have employees and offices and, you know, people working for you. But I'm talking about, you know. Like, you know, one or two people or even three people teams, you can really make this happen. So that's what I love so much about this business, you know. Episode 64, Hustle at Home Mom. So Ashley, can I ask you, what is what is one of your failures that you've learned through? Oh, so many. Where do I even oh. start? Um, I, I'll say this. This was one of my biggest failures. And like, I'm proud of it because it changed direction with my business. I used to just, if I found any margin on Amazon, I used to buy it and sell it. I'm talking like, even if it's slim, well, it'll sell fast. Um, I can make that mo- money's money. And any like profit, any profit. what's that? Like 30% ROI. Like, are you talking yeah, less than even that? 10%, 10 to 15% wow. for, um, for a little bit. And this wasn't for a long time, but once I started to stack up a lot of money, I was like, hey, let's play with the big boys and and go buy big bulk things and and then send it to Amazon. But then gosh, like when you're when you're doing that game, it's high stakes and like one return blows your profit margin for all the items that you bought. Like if you're buying a, a computer for um I don't know, eight hundred dollars that you're hoping will sell for $1,100. And you're like, well, that's 200 bucks. Like, and you buy three of those, if one person returns it and it's damaged or for any reason, or like it's not, um, it's returned and you have to now sell it on eBay for way less, you're screwed. Like that, your money's gone. So I sold a ton because I was buying a ton. But then at the end, my profit was like hardly anything. And I'm like, this isn't, and at the same time, I was hiring a virtual assistant to help find deals for me. Like I was just throwing money out, like going, oh, this is what everyone, this is what the top players in the game do. And this is what I should be doing because I should level up. But like, 
the money just wasn't there. Unless you're playing with, I'm talking like hundreds of thousands of dollars or, or ten, at least tens of thousands of dollars a week spending that, that those kind of margins just don't make sense for someone like me. So that was a really big mistake and very humbling at the end of, um, you know, the year to see like, wow, my profit margins were nowhere near where I wanted them to be. And like, I thought I was here. I was thought thinking I'm leveling up. I wasn't leveling up at all. So that's when I like revert. I'm like, Ash, go back to what was working. What worked? And I'm talking about for me, and this doesn't mean for everyone, but for me, part-time sourcing limited amounts of time, I saw money just like stacking and stacking and stacking when I was doing very cheap inventory, books and clothing, bins, garage sales. Like, and I just went back to that and was like, that's all. And like, once I like accepted, like, other than like Q4, you know, getting in the stores and doing RA, like there's tons of money to be made there. So I'm not talking about those months are special. But still, you got to be careful because, you know, that market can tank the same way, right? I mean, tank instantly. And like, then you're, you are screwed. Like you have nothing. What can you do? You have all this money tied up. You can, you have to just sell it and move on or else. Yeah. You can wait. Like that was one thing like, yeah, maybe I could take the 5,000 I dropped into this and wait a few months for it to come back. But all my money's tied up in it. And like, okay, I guess I'll just wait and not buy any more inventory. So there's a lot of risk with that. Like you, and like you said, prices tank and things stop being hot. Like you're playing a little bit of a gambling game. So, um, once I went back and just started doing like what I, what I felt best about, like the money started to come back and like, I felt way more at peace and that's where just my money grew, grew and grew. And like, I've been able to pay for our basement, our kitchen and other things like without even sweating because I've just been spending this and making this like, that's where, when you have really fat profit margins, you have tons of room for returns and lost items and just the ability of things that happen. So that's one mistake. I could do many more mistakes. If you, if the, like, if you want me to elaborate. <laughs> so that was probably one of the best explanations of the the dangers of number one, comparing yourself to others, mm-hmm. right? Because you know you get on Instagram, you see people are like, "I made thirty k." I I say this all the time. Like people say, "I made thirty k," but what are those margins, right? Did they make yep. really net two k? I mean, and then on top of that, you know, you have these huge bulk buys on clearance, but so is everybody else, mm-hmm. right? And so and I agree, I agree with returns because I've done the you know, I, I talk about Ryan's eggs, right? Like those were like <laughs> 50, 60 a pop, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And unless you sold them fast, we did Merchant Fulfilled, you were maybe at one point in time only making five or 10 bucks and it never recovered, mm-hmm. right? So you had to be, I don't know if you picked those up this past Q4, but you had to be careful. I didn't, but yeah, I I have fingerlings still here. They're oh, still in my office from that because I was like, here we go. And it just... They never recovered and they, and then Amazon restricted me and then they're worth nothing on eBay. And I was like, cool. Like I just dropped $200 on those. I didn't even go that deep in them. I mean, that's the game you're playing and like, it's great, but you, people aren't seeing, like you could show your little flips here and there on Amazon. Like, well, it's hard to, like you could see carts and carts of stuff and like go, Oh my gosh, that's so cool. Look at their numbers. Yeah. 20,000. But like, I've seen those numbers in myself and I've seen the profit and it's 
I make more now doing the very simple thrift stuff than I did my biggest Amazon month, except for books. When I was doing books like that is those are, those margins are awesome. But like Q4, my best month, what was my lowest profit month? Wow. Because of my margins, because of my buying and my margins. And so not to say that like other Q4s were, and, and Q4 can be amazing. You go into a, you know, a store during Christmas and if you can like merchant fulfill or send things in really fast, like things that you find, they sell instantly and it's really amazing. But like, yeah, that's a big, that was a big learn lesson I learned um, from, from that, from Amazon. It's a, it's kind of a game. So don't, yeah, like you said, don't be intimidated when you see other people posting huge numbers. We don't know what those margins are. And a lot of times they don't ever talk about it. They don't say what it is. <laughs> they like to just put the number and be like, Hey, here's my sales. So um, yeah, it's a dangerous game. Oh, that's, that's really good. So just so you know, Orlando still occasionally, uh, is tempted to buy finger links. He still believes. They <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> well, Don't do it. I wonder how many fingerlings are held on. Like right now, how many resellers have fingerlings in a tote or in a bin somewhere? You know what I mean? Cause you've talked about, okay. I've talked, I know a bunch of other resellers that have them like, how much did resellers control that market and help that co- help that company? You know what I mean? Like we just held on to gosh, just maybe 50 years from now, they'll be worth something. Who knows? Who knows? I'll wait 50 years. I'll just have that box, put it in the attic. My kids can sell it one day. That's there you go. Or they make good Christmas yeah. gifts and, oh, and nightmare. Uh, <laughs> Horrible. That's funny. So I got I got something a little bit away from uh reselling just for a moment because uh, I, just to be honest, I think I've I've been more motivated to do Amazon uh, from just this conversation than I have been since I've started reselling just because like, yeah, you make, you make it like you're speaking my language and you're talking about like, you can still do well with like the smaller doing books, doing the thrift stuff. You don't have to always go big and and, and necessarily scale up huge. So I've learned so much with that. Um, One thing um, I'm interested in asking though is, so you worked with kids, you did the uh, counseling. Um, I teach high school English. And so I always try to every year, like present a few ideas to the kids and things, some life lessons. So if you had the opportunity to stand in front of a, a group of high school students and give them some advice for life, like what they should do going forward, some truths that they should take in, uh, what would you tell them? Wow. Is this like just reselling related or life? life? Yeah. Gosh, it's we're so getting, We're getting real here. Cause my, I know, well, cause my husband and I have been talking about this and how the choices you make in high school are really powerful. Like you can make choices early that affect the rest of your life. And like, I, I don't like at the risk of sounding like really old, like it, it um, I'm the I would just here, say like, so you're okay. Okay. Um, I I just feel like, um, the choice, I feel like the choices we start making early become habits later. And like, I worked at my family's restaurant. I hated it. I was so shy. I didn't talk to people in high school. Like I could, I could meet someone and be like, they wouldn't know who I am. They would be like, because you were just silent and in the corner and not doing anything. But when my family got the restaurant, they put me out as a waitress. I had to talk to people. And I, I was forced out of my shell and like, it was so healthy for me. And I, and I started working when I was 14 and I 
we were busy working because we just didn't have any money. And like, we were always moved. It was just very chaotic growing up in my home. But like, I'm extremely grateful for that now that I'm older because that work kept me out of a lot of trouble. Things that you can get into, I think, in high school that are not so great. And that, I mean, I've seen the habits can develop even early in high school that affect you the rest of your life. Addictions can happen. And so it kind of kept me out of trouble and it taught me the value of work. Like, work is extremely healthy, extremely valuable. I've always worked. I love working. I want to teach my kids to work. Um, so I would just say like, it may seem tempting to just sow your oats and go, I'm going to just have a party right now and just enjoy it while I'm young. But there are consequences for everything you do. There's, there's addictions that can form. And I only say this from coming from the perspective of siblings who have been addicted to drugs and alcohol. Sorry, we're like going here. This is nothing to do with anything. But like I, my sister passed away 12 years ago from drugs and alcohol. And I have, I have, um, you know, I, I, it's a very powerful lesson for me and for my kids. Like I, you, you know, there's choices that we make that are just, they determine our life. Very small choices can lead a whole new path. And so if I, if high school kids decide, I'm, you know, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to be honest, as honest as I can. And I'm going to um, make good choices and like try to be a productive human and a productive member of society. That path will take them down a great road. Um, Whereas it's easy to just take a path of least resistance and just go, oh, who cares? This doesn't matter. Um, Things do matter. Grades matter. Like, and this is, these are things I would talk to students about, you know, with their grades, when their grades would just start to fall and they would stop caring or, and they were just following the pattern of their family. Um, coming from a very toxic family, I can say like, you can break out of it. If you make good choices, if you just decide I'm not going to perpetuate the cycle. Um, and so I would tell the students, you might be in a cycle of abuse and addiction and sad things, but you can break out. If you make the right choices now, they will follow you the rest of your life. And like the only reason I'm here is because I started to make choices that were different from my family. And I said, I'm going to, I'm going to be different. I want a different path. I don't want this. Um, So that's like what I would tell high school students. And then again, with, (laughs) with the workforce in college, probably like the more relevant question that I just decided to go on a tangent about. I think it's the same same thing applies actually. Even in your twenties, even in your thirties, I'm I'm forty now. But (laughs) I I will tell you, there's decisions I made in my early thirties that you know they stick with me. You Mm -hmm. know, we we make a good call or make a bad call, that they'll be there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Like, and it's of course it's never too late, right? Like, I would hate to say like it's too late for me even to make different choices. I I make mistakes all the time, but like. When you're young, I feel like you're just so much more malleable to like choices and change. It's hard when you're in your 30s to change. It's hard for me. I'm stuck in my habits. <laughs> like find a 60-year-old and tell them to change a habit. Is it happening? Like it's hard when they're that old. Like when you when you have just entrenched that habit for so long, like it's really tough. So when you're young and you can make some good choices, imagine how that good choice will entrench and be part of you by the time you're 30, you know? Um, so yeah. And like, and that, and just that, um, 
I see a lot of people disparaging education in the reselling community. Sometimes, like, there's no point. Don't waste your money, right? And I, coming from someone who has a master's degree, I value my education so much because it's something no one can ever take away from me. No one can ever take that knowledge away, the experience, um, all of it. That I don't regret a single bit of it. And it's what I'm going to help teach my children. I, I like having an educated mind. And I don't think we should, you know, spit on that and say like, it's worthless. It's not. I And I, I mean, we got through college debt free. So I think that's, you know, definitely something to consider. Like, going to out-of-state schools and paying up for your education. Like, I don't know if that I would recommend that, but I went to a state school and a state school for my master's and like got a great education and I'm, I cherish it. I cherish my diploma. So um, I think education is really important and something that we should encourage. And because I think that makes you a thoughtful member of society, you know, it makes you just able to take information and process it in a thoughtful way. Education helps you do that. Episode 68, Wade's Ventures. For all of our listeners who might not know who you are, why don't you tell us a little bit about who, who, who's Wade? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, I, was, um, I just started social media like a year and a half ago, two years ago. And um, it's changed my world. And we'll talk about that. But um, So I'm a full-time re- reseller. I sell on eBay and other platforms. And so I went full-time, left my 10-year corporate job back in April. So... It's been a little over a year and a half that I've been full time now. It's been incredible. And uh, so what I do is I I sell, I spend time with family, set my own hours, um, enjoy life. A uh, little stressful at times, but it's been amazing. And um, it's uh, it's one of those things where you know I feel like you know it, it seems like it's been forever, but really it's only been a year, a little over a year and a half that I've quit my corporate job. So that's what I'm doing right now: selling online, social media, and uh, meeting amazing people like yourselves in person at eBay Open 2019. Yeah, that was pretty awesome. Yeah, it was amazing. Yep, right, that- so, isn't that crazy that we live in this world where, where we can do that, we can resell, and that you can do so much on social media? Like, it's just bizarre. Like, if you'd have told me five years ago that you could do this, I would have had a laugh you, you know, out of the room. Yeah, it, it, it's so crazy to me. It's like one of those things where, you know, I wish I would have been doing this five years ago, you know, even 10 years ago. And um, it's changed my world in many ways than one. And, it, you know, the people that you meet, um, I think what it comes down to is the flexibility too. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, you do have a little flexibility with this and it gives you opportunity to go on social media. And um, I have more friends on social media um, than I know in the flesh. So it's, it's incredible. I can relate with that. That that has happened since the podcast started. Yeah, that, well, I never thought of it that way. When you guys are as famous as you are, I can imagine. <laughs> no, no, I'm talking about maybe five friends instead of two. That's what yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah, no. So wait, I you know, so we'll get to the social media because you've had such a huge presence on social media, on YouTube, on Instagram, and, and other platforms, but reselling. So I want to know, when did you start? Like, was this something that you already had been doing during your corporate job? What led you to, you know, leave your corporate job and know that you can do this full time? Share with us that a little bit. Yeah. So I've been reselling for about six years now. Um, You know, local. um, I've been selling a little bit on eBay for a while as a part-time gig. You know, I've always felt like there's always, it's, there's always opportunity to grow whatever you're doing. And, and with that, you know, more streams of income for your family and friends. And, and that's kind of what I did as I started um, buying storage units. 
And that was my passion. We'll talk about that. And then I was like, at the, at, at the point of buying a few storage units, you realize that you have a lot of stuff that you need to sell um, because you'll be a hoarder very quickly if it just um, sticks around. So I, you know, I bought a lot of storage units, realized how am I going to get this, get rid of this stuff? And um, then kind of started on eBay and, and the rest is history, but really didn't take it seriously up until about three years ago. Um, that's kind of when I took it seriously and, and really tried to make like an extra source of income. And, uh, but you know, that's kind of the idea was I bought all these storage units and then kind of turned to different platforms like eBay primarily to get rid of most of the, most of the inventory. Okay. So I got I have a question. So a lot of people start with, you know, I went to the thrift store and I found something and, and I flipped and I was hooked, or I went to a garage sale or, you know, on black Friday, I found something. Mm-hmm. So you're saying, you're saying you went to storage units. So was there an in-between or was it like you woke up one morning and said, after watching Storage Wars, I'm going to go buy a storage unit. Like, how, how did that, how did that happen? I'm a risk taker. Um, okay. You know, thank, thank goodness my beautiful wife is, is more stable. Um, but yeah, so I, uh, like most people, that's great. I, I did watch Storage Wars. I was, um, I was intrigued. I was like, man, I want to be a, a modern day pirate. And I want to get all this gold and this crazy stuff that's in these units. Of course, that's not the reality. Um, mm-hmm by far. But um, yeah, I, that's how I got into it. I bought my first unit. The worst unit I ever bought to date was that first unit. Um, but then after that, you know, as long as you stick with it for a few units, you're kind of there to stay at that point. A lot of people, they kind of fall off after the first couple. But if you stick with it, um, you you can do some good stuff. And then I got some great stuff out of these units. And um, with that, you know, I realized that I've got to sell some of this to recoup the money that I spent on the storage units. So it's very interesting. It's not like a normal thrift store or thrift hall and you know, you want to make money that way. It was it started with a passion to do something that had nothing to do with reselling. And then um that kind of was just, just the next like flow um, you know, to uh to start my journey where I'm at today. So when you first started doing the the storage units, was it you're wanting like that one item, that one thing that like you could take to a museum and sell so like, what was your plan with the rest of the stuff? Like, cause they don't show that on, on wow. storage wars, like what they do with all the junk. So like, what were, what were your plans with that? And then what do you, what do you do with all that stuff? It, it's one of those things where it's, as you go, you build relationships. So the vast majority you find in storage units is what it is. It's, you know, it's donatable slash trash that you find in these units. You know, you're really only keeping about 20%. Um, hmm. You know, and as you kind of go on and you build relationships and you buy a lot of storage units, mm-hmm. you, you kind of get friends with people that may need different things. For example, if you buy a unit with a lot of furniture, I don't have room for furniture, but I know a couple of people have brick and mortars so I can sell to them really cheaply, get rid of that. And so uh, they can sell and I can make a little bit of capital. Um, you know, and then there's the, the, the stuff that you sell on eBay. And, and then there's also stuff that you sell local. I think that's underrated uh, to sell stuff, uh, you know, out of your house and, um, you know, make money that isn't taxable, which is great. So um, I think local is, is really important. A lot of people kind of miss that boat. And especially now with like Facebook Marketplace, like that never used to be here, you know, a few years back. So you've got that offer up, let go. I mean, the list goes on. Craigslist, of course. Um, so that's kind of where you got to kind of like, you know, there's there's slices of the pie and, and you do local, a little bit of that. You do, you know... Um, uh, you know, I do garage sales. I'll do garage sale videos and do a few of those a year. And uh, those are fun. You meet a crazy amount of cool people that come up to your house and hand you cash, which is great. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of ways that you can get rid of this stuff. 
So did you find the competition peaked and it's kind of calmed down? Because I remember I was going to get into storage units a few years ago, too. I wasn't as brave as you were, Wade. But uh, I remember going to a couple and seeing just all kinds of people, like all kinds of people and going, yep, I'm out. So was it like that for you when you came in or has it, it does it depend on your ge- where you are geographically? Uh, you're actually correct. Like it really depends on where you're at. So I know where you guys are at and there the competition is stiff. It is very expensive okay. to buy storage units there. You get a lot more people. Um, California is that weird state to where um, anywhere at any time there's a storage auction going on and there's going to be a ton of people that are there, right? Um, where Oregon, it's completely different. You may get a core of like eight or nine people live. Um, and that's about it. And, and on a really nice day, maybe a beautiful summer day, maybe up to the 15 or 20. But um, the competition is completely different. It really depends on where you're at. And I think a lot of facilities are actually going online now. So you can literally um, be at your house eating popcorn and spit on units now, which is fantastic. It kind of saves time. You don't have to waste time going out you know, to these live auctions and not get any unit, you can kind of pick and choose online and spend your, your time there. And if you find one, great. Um, you can bid right online, like Storage Treasures, Bid13, Locker Fox, um, all these websites you can go on and buy them lo- online now. So, um, and I, I think they tend to go for more money because more people have time to really sit there and soak it in, where if you go live, you know, things move very quickly and you only have, you know, 30 seconds and then the, the auction's ending. So, um, it really depends on where you're at. And I encourage everybody, even if you don't want to buy one, if you just want to go and see what it's all about, grab some Starbucks coffee and bring the family, which you can. You don't need any extra special license. And you can just observe and watch it all happen and unfold. So if you want to go live. So there's, there's um, yeah, it really depends on where you're at. Okay. So I, I know we're delving into, into the storage unit. We don't, there's not a lot of people that talk about storage. I mean, I know it's a thing right now on YouTube. But a lot of it is, well, this is what I found in the storage unit, or this is, you know, what this pallet had, and so on. But mm-hmm. the pro- I'm more, in, I'm interested in the process, right? So if you could summarize, what's the process look like? You, so you go, you bid, you win, and then what happens? And then how do you go from point A to you don't have that merchandise anymore unless it's listed? Mm-hmm. Well, um, we a storage unit buyers are basically the alt, they have the ultimate quote unquote death pile or money pile money pile however you want to however you want to proceed that yeah um, people people sometimes don't like the death pile or they they say it's a money pile which that's great um, so basically you bid on the unit um, you then pay for the unit and um, you're going through the unit now there's a lot of people that do different processes based on their situation if they have room. Um, if they don't have room, for example, if you have very little room to house this stuff, like somebody we know here who just bought a uh, a, a trailer and is doing their thing, um, you've got to go through the stuff in the in the the storage unit first and kind of pick out what you want to keep to sell online, and then everything else you either need to donate or go to the dump with. So that way you're not bringing home a bunch of boxes, right? Um, if you have room, if you have a warehouse, a lot of people will load it up and bring it to the warehouse and go through it there because you have you know, ample amount of space to go through everything. So really depends on your situation. For me, I have a garage and I have something called HOA. So I can't be putting a bunch of stuff in front of my house, right? So it's very important for me as, as I'm going through the storage unit, I um, kind of separate in my mind, okay, I can sell this local, I can sell this on eBay, maybe a little Amazon, and the rest is going to be donated 
Um, what I really like to do is in my previous life, my corporate life, I handled a lot of nonprofits. And I like to, I have a list of nonprofits that take certain stuff. And uh, so I'll, instead of you know, donating to Goodwill, I'll give it to those nonprofits, um, kids. And you know, there's all kinds of nonprofits in Oregon that I can donate you know, toys to and stuff. So yeah, in your mind, you got to go through the unit, find out kind of what your situation is and go from there. And um, you know, it's kind of a learning process. When you buy your first one, you're all over the place because it's something new. But as you buy more and more, you realize that your process kind of fine tunes and um, you get better and better at it. So I think that's amazing that you do the, the nonprofit thing. I mean, um, I, when we first met you, like we, we, we first met on your show, right? And you, know, you can only know somebody so much. And then when we went to eBay Open, like we actually got to like hang out with you and talked with you. And um, it became pretty obvious that you're like, you're a good guy. Like my wife said that about you, which she doesn't say about a lot of people. She's just like, you know what? You pass the test. Wade is like, a, he's like a genuine good guy. And I was like, he really is. So it's really impressive that you do that. And I think that's something that, um, you know, we could share with the, the, the reselling community is there will be those times where you have items that you can't get rid of. And instead of just, you know, sending it to the local thrift store, which, you know, could be a good cause, but, but, you know, reach out and maybe find ways to connect with people around you and, and, and help. Cause yeah, sometimes you find scores or maybe you're not in the, in the market to buy, like you said, like a bunch of chairs, but maybe you know an organization that's looking for that kind of stuff, so you can kind of be that bridge. Yeah, I think it's so uter- uh, underutilized. Is you got to realize, nonprofits—they know a lot of people, and they may actually, if you get in good with a nonprofit, I've found I've done sourcing through nonprofits before, where they mm-hmm. can't take certain stuff, and they'll call me and see if I'm interested because they have so many people that call them to see if they're interested, right? Wow. Um, so I think it's one of those things where it all boils down to being, you know, in you know, creating those relationships where they're they're over the phone or they're in person or they're through social media, uh, especially if you're full time because you want to have multiple doors that can open at any time. Because uh, the biggest thing, obviously, is how are you going to source um, the products that you're going to sell to pe- to feed your family and to live, right? And um, so networking is really key. Nonprofits, they're a revolving door of people that go in and donate, and a lot of that stuff they can't take. Um, but they may know you and they can call you like they call me and say, Hey, we've got this crazy stuff here. Would you be interested? Or do you know another nonprofit that can take advantage? So. Yeah, that's super awesome. Yeah. That's that, that is a great tip. I, I never would have thought that donating, like you said, and giving to a nonprofit would lead to more yeah. sources. I, I don't think anybody's ever discussed that. That's a new one for me. So thanks yeah. Wade. Going back a little bit to the, the storage unit. Yeah, we still want to know more. Yeah. We want to know more, but, um, I'm interested because I, I just can't get the storage thing out of my mind. Cause for me, it's the same thing. Like when I, I remember watching storage wars and it's like, you live almost vicariously through those people, right? Like it's when they get the big find, you get the big find with them, right? You're like watching and you're like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe they got that. Or like when they fail really hard, you're like, you feel so terrible for them. So like, what were some of like, your really like, what's your best find? And then like, maybe share that worst, that very first one that you got that was just like terrible. Yeah, so I, I um, my best storage unit, um, un- regrettably, was not on YouTube. I've done hundreds of storage units before I started YouTube because you just didn't. I, I didn't put two to two together because I didn't watch a lot of YouTube content. So when you're doing it, you just didn't think about it. But um, it was a, it was an ex Nike director. He worked for Nike, and he worked in the 80s and 90s for Nike. And he had two units. I paid seven hundred dollars for both combined. 
And um, it was boxes and boxes of blue tag and red. red, Yeah. Um, I I think I remember this, but keep telling us. Yeah. Um, It was incredible. I don't know. It was kind of, there was only eight people there that day. And um, I, you know, just got lucky. And so there was a bunch of, it was very weird. There was a bunch of food. And typically when you see like cans of food and stuff, you kind of stay away from those units. Um, but I did see, um, nor I saw boxes that had business uh, writing on it. Right. And typically that's a great sign. It's a business that goes out of business because it's not just people, it's businesses that go out of business too. So I thought, well, you know, it'd be interesting. Let's try this. Um, another thing too, is I did Google the name because it's public knowledge. Who's used, and, and before we go any further, it is sad when people lose storage units, guys, I, you know, it, it's sad, but there's many reasons why they lose storage units. They could have passed away. You know, of course, there's the bill that they didn't pay. They could have got incarcerated. A lot of times they move to different states. And, and what happens when you move to a different state? You change your phone number and your address and they can't get a hold of you, right? So there's a lot of ways that you can lose storage units. Um, but yeah, so I've got this guy's unit. Um, and it, you know, was a massive unit, bunch of food, and some, some boxes. And those boxes were full and they were all brand new, sealed. And I still have about six or seven hundred items on my ebay store now from that locker so um, you've already you've already made your money back in more though yeah i made probably about forty thousand on that unit i think that when it's all said and done probably right around 70 or eighty thousand. wow so, that yeah. is incredible yeah. that's a that that should be on storage wars like, i i get it yeah. like yeah I, I went through the same thing i mean before we did the podcast i had my biggest scores and now that we're doing the podcast i'm like where are those big scores again right <laughs> what, yeah. what happened yeah, it's um, you know, it's one of those things too. Like, it was it was just a random day. I was in the right spot at the right time, and it was in a facility that wasn't great, and and not even in a great area. Um, so it goes to show that sometimes when you're not looking for something, that's when it happens, and you just got to be ready when it does. Wow. All right. So, what was it? What's another one? I want to hear. I want to hear more. So. Oh my gosh, um, I've got some pretty some pretty gnarly ones. Um, <laughs> We're here to listen. Yeah, we're here. Um, so I've got um, when I, my first unit that I ever bought was the worst one. It was just a boring storage unit. Um, it had no value in it. It was all scrap metal and uh, you know power tools that weren't even working. I don't know what happened. My when you when you're a new storage unit buyer, you realize your hand just kind of sticks up and it never goes down because you're so anxious to buy one and actually say that you bought a storage unit. Patience is key, and that's one of the things I struggled with early on. Uh, but one of my worst ones was this one that I thought had a bunch of 70s and 80s stuff in it. It, um, it was all, looking back at it, it was a great unit before I went into it. Like it had like old boxes and a lot of dust and, you know, everything was like that the boxes were, you know, old and the sides were crinkling over, but they were still stacked nicely. Um, and then we got into the unit. It was all food, um, nasty food in these boxes. There was rats in there. Um, there was feces everywhere from those. Um, it was a very gnarly unit and, um, my mom was in there. She was gagging and, and having a hard time with it. It was not, we're staying PG here. And I think that, that it was just, I mean, I've had some pretty crazy units and that was one of them. We, I don't even think we salvaged a box of stuff in there and it was a massive unit. It was, it was terrible. It was an outdoor unit, of course. So yeah, but they're not all gold guys. Sometimes when you buy them, you just don't know. I mean, it is a gamble, right? But it's a, it's a fun modern day treasure hunt gamble for me, at least. If you could, if you had the opportunity to like tell somebody, it could be young person, older person, but whoever, 
to tell somebody some life lessons, something like it, maybe, maybe like one thing, like this one piece of advice, like follow this and this will change your life. What do you think that would be? Wow. It's hard to do just one. Um, that's some good questions, Mike. <laughs> wow. That was a great question. Um, and, and everybody that's listening, think of that yourself. Like, what would you do too? Um, man, um, there's a, there's a, like three things that I would have done actually. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the funny thing is, is when you're young, you know, and you get these, you get this question or you get the, you know, you get people that are helping you out. You never take it to heart because you feel like you're going to live forever. And I realize how much fast time is flying. Um, I think the one thing that held me back when I was younger and even now to this day is patience. And, um, like understanding that like you may want to go somewhere, but it, you're not going to get there overnight. It takes mm-hmm. time, right? And patience is a big thing. Also, like when you fall down, you got to get yourself back up. And so I think that's, you know, a lot of times when you fall down, you you kind of hold up a hand and you're waiting for somebody to pull you up. And, and I want to teach my kids, like when you fall down, brush yourself off and get yourself up, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, but yeah, patience um, uh, is one thing that I think was, was, for me was something that I struggled with early on. I wanted to get somewhere really quick. And by doing that, you miss a lot of like paths to get there the right way, not just the quick way. So patience would be the big thing. And, um, and then when you realize that we're, I think we're taught like that failure is not good. And for me, I actually think that that's actually the, the not the, not the correct way of thinking is, you know, you're going to fall, fail many times and with that, it's, it's tuition, it's, it's learning from that. And then, you know, diverting to a different direction and, and trying something new is, is really important. So I'm okay with failure. Like I know I'm going to fail. Uh, I have tremendously in different areas. Um, I've done a couple businesses where that didn't work out, a couple ideas that didn't work out. And so you just got to continue on and, and live life and, and realize that that's going to be a part of it. So for my kids, I, wanna, I want them to know like, it's okay. We wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode. To, to fail, you just got to learn from that. And that's the most important thing is learn from that mistake and kind of move forward. Easier said than done. Episode 72, Son of a Son of a Seller. What's up, guys? My name is Brad. Uh, you might know me from Instagram as Son of a Son of a Seller. Uh, I'm a full-time reseller. Been doing it for... Well, I've been reselling since 1994. Been uh, reselling full time since 2008, and um, I live in an RV and I just travel the country doing this thing. Wow, 1994. I I didn't yeah. think you went that far back. Yeah, well, that was that was when I set up at my first card show. That's what started this whole thing was baseball cards, and I had my nice. first booth when I was 10. So technically, that's when this whole thing started. The reselling. Oh wow. Okay. Wow. So before we get further, let's let's share real quick. So on Instagram, you're son of a son of a seller. Yeah. You also have a website that you sell on. I do. That's son of a son of a seller.com. Okay, that's pretty easy. Okay. Yeah. And uh, you sell on Instagram too. Yeah, I, I'll put stuff on my story. Um, you know, sometimes like the doing this out of an RV, I have it's 34 feet long. So my space is limited and I haven't yet adjusted my buying habits to <laughs> the space I'm operating in. So sometimes I'll just buy way more t shirts than I can do anything with. And you'll check my story and you'll be like, whoa. He's selling 200 t-shirts right now. That's crazy. So it's just, you know, it, I never know. Some days I, sometimes I'll go a week without selling anything and then you never know. Ah, that's, that's super awesome. Now the name, son of a son of a seller, 
Where does that come yeah. from? Because I when I when I was looking you up, kind of trying to figure some about you, because I've watched some of your uh, some of your Instagrams. Man, you're a funny guy. I want to talk about some of the <laughs> some of the funny things you do. But um, I, I uh, something else kept coming up, like a song of "Son of a Son yeah. of a Sailor." Right? Is it is it exactly. connected to that? Yeah. It's a Jimmy Buffett song, and uh, I was raised on Jimmy Buffett's music by my parents, and uh, it's you know kind of a I'm also a third generation reseller. My grandpa was a reseller. My dad was a reseller. I'm a reseller. And so actually I am a son of a son of a seller and, um, just, it was a, you know, it came to me one day and I was like, well, that kind of just has to be it. It's, yeah. it gets a little, people, it's hard to, to say out loud if people have never heard the song, but you know, the ones that get it, get it. So it works for me. Yeah, no, that's awesome. It's, it's, it's a, it's a super great name and it's crazy that it's like legitimate. So not only does it connect to us a, a, a song, right. But like you're actually a third generation reseller. And I don't know if there's yeah. a lot of people who can say that, right. Yeah. Well, there weren't really, I mean, my grandpa and dad would never have, you know, known the term reseller. They, my, my grandpa was a traveling salesman and, uh, he would just stop at every country flea market he could find. And, uh, he actually had one leg and he had a little rascal scooter that he had, he had rigged up a, a wooden ramp to come out of his Astro van. And wow. he would tool, tool around the flea markets, find something, and then go on to the next flea market and flip that item. Wow. And that's, you know, that was his side hustle. And dad had flea market booths in Little Rock where I grew up. Uh, he did more. He would buy freight damaged furniture and rebuild it and sell it in his flea market. Um, so they, they've, you know, they were different types of resellers, but you know, reseller all the same. Yeah, no, for sure. And so when you were like growing up and you saw this, was that something that you were like, this is, this is what I want to do. Like, I, I enjoy this. I see what they're doing and I love it. Honestly, it was, it's kind of funny. Like they were, my grandpa was just insistent that I collect something from, you know, from birth, basically. So there were, you know, I got a train set when I was born and then it was coins and stamps. And in 1991, um, my dad was, my dad and I were at Sam's and I was like, I want some baseball cards. And, you know, he was like, well, let's, let's just try this. You got to collect something. Your grandpa's just going to keep sending stuff. So, so we got baseball. So he bought me some cards and, um, it just kind of started there. And, um, I, I lost my train, train of thought, guys. Sorry. That's good. We were we were asking you, did you find it to be something viable, like something you really wanted to yeah. do because you yeah. had seen your so, grandfather and your father do it? Yeah. So um, basically, I had hated estate sales, which my dad dragged me to my entire life. But when the when he bought me that box of baseball cards, everything changed. I opened them up. I got a Nolan Ryan and like one of the first few packs, and that was the only one of the only names I knew at the time, and I was just ecstatic. And so every estate sale he he used to drag me to a week before. Now I'm asking, you know, are they going to have cards? Are they going to have cards? And it just kind of developed from there. And um, up until 2008, it was strictly baseball cards. And so it was easy to kind of, you know, see what they did and be like, oh, I like the hustle, but, you know, mine's totally different. And then in 08, things changed with the recession and everything. And so I drastically pivoted. Okay, so we're going to divert a little bit. I got to set a cool, we got some questions kind of, but what you just said, I find, I find super interesting. First of all, I started collecting baseball cards around that time. That's when Griffey rookie cards were a big deal. And yeah, for sure. Remember, do you remember those? And, and oh, yeah. you had the Fleer and you had all these. And actually, somebody stole a bunch of my cards, but that's another story. Uh, mine too. That Nolan Ryan I spoke of was stolen. Really? Oh, it's <laughs> yeah. terrible. Okay, so you obviously have a background in baseball. And right yeah. now, and now I think Gary Vee is pushing this. He's, I think he's mm -hmm. controlling the market. I don't know if you've seen what he's been talking about. 
Yeah. But he's very big on cards. Now, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, you came from knowing all cards and now you might be hearing this. Where do you land on that? Man, cards are right now. Yes, the market is hot and I think it's trending in a upward direction. And I don't know. I don't see an end in sight, really. So Gary Vee is, is I'm, I'm totally on board with him with that. Um, it's just you got to be careful. I mean, Andrew Luck retiring this past weekend is the perfect example. I know some people that are really good at this, that are really smart guys. And, you know, they just had a lot of money tied up in luck rookies and the bottom just fell out, you know, with no warning. And I mean, you hate to see it, then it just happens. And so the future is bright and you can definitely make so make a lot of money going forward. But you just got to be cautious because, you know, it's it's not it doesn't always end well. I mean, for every, you know, Zion, hopefully, we, or, you know, let's say someone established like LeBron, there's also a Darko or, you know, someone who just was a total flop. And, you know, you can hit big and you can also lose your rear end. So I like cards. Uh, you know, it's one of my passions, but you've got to be careful and you got to know what you're doing. So when it comes to 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 selling cards like that, what do people typically do? Are they are they buying boxes of unopened like packs and they're like just filtering through and hoping to find like the great ones or are they well in this day and age, I'm sorry. Uh, in this day and age, it's honestly cost prohibitive to actually buy your own full box of cards anymore. Um you know, back in the day in the 90s, the top end of a box of cards would cost you maybe 130, 140 bucks. Really premium stuff, maybe 200. Now there's basically what what you would call a box is one pack, and you can spend upwards of you know two three thousand dollars for that one pack. Mm, wow! So what a lot of people do is something called a case break, and what you'll do there is basically split up the interest. You know, to say that for figuring sake, let's say this uh, this box is a thousand dollars in the you know in the in the store. Um, a case breaker will take that box and split the interest up amongst you know say all thirty teams in the league. And then divide that cost of the case 30 ways. And so I would buy the Chicago Bulls. And I would get every Chicago Bull card that came out of that box, case, whatever mm. we're opening. But if there are none, you got nothing. Oof. So it's... It, but that's, you know, if you want to... When you see these people post about, you know, there's, these, there's already Zion cards that are selling in the thousands. And there's some that by the end of this year that'll be in the tens, if not, you know, maybe over a hundred grand. Wow. So you've had... Plenty of hauls. You had like, I remember one time you had a Star Wars toys, you had ET toys, you've had, I mean, you've had all kinds of stuff. Now you have stories on your Instagram, like you, one time where I can tell why you're not happy with auction houses. You had a Babe Ruth card that didn't go. <laughs> I, I don't mean to bring up bad items or you had a basketball uh, that you sold. So you got, you have, you've had a ton of really awesome items. So what would you say your top three things that you sold that you really enjoyed selling or maybe they sold for less than you wanted, but you you're so kind of, it's memorable that you came across it. My, my favorites are an ABA basketball, which is the American basketball association, which existed in the sixties and early seventies. Um, it's the red, white, and blue ball. Um, semi pro the, uh, Will Ferrell movie is based off of the, based off of that league. Oh, okay. Um, so the, the league went around very long and, um, the ball is iconic. People collect it, it, whether it be, you know, a gamer or just a, a replica rubber, rubber one from a driveway. Low end is going to be 40 or 50 bucks. High end, I didn't really know. I'm at a Goodwill in Little Rock and I see one deflated in the bottom of the bin of balls and, you know, sports, sports equipment. And I pull it out 
got $7 on it, which is absurd for a deflated basketball, but I see what it is. So I throw it in the cart and I honestly forgot about it for a couple of weeks. I think I need to look that up. I pull it out. I look it up and I can't find any comps because the commissioner on it is George Mikan. Every, every ball has a, has the commissioner's signature emblazoned on it. This one is George Mikan. He was the first commissioner of the league and was only commissioner for a very brief period. And this is a leather ball. It's a game ball. And so it turns out it's probably one of 10 or so known to exist. Wow. And so I just pop it on eBay for 99 cents and let it go. Wow. It, it sold for, I think, 2700 Whoa. Nice. And it's one of those, you know, it's my, probably my favorite sports find ever. And it's, you know, I still feel like I, own, I don't own it, but I own, you know, I'm a custodian. I was a custodian of yeah. it. I made it. I got it to the display case where it's sitting right now, where someone treasures that thing. You're a piece of that history. Yeah. And so, you know, like that would be one item. Um, another would be, um, honestly, the roof autograph that I just got. Um, I just found it in, uh, I think it was, I guess that was February. And I paid up. I paid quite a bit for it. But it was, a, uh, it was at an estate sale. It was a seller that I trust a lot. And he told me that, he pull, that his team pulled it straight out of a trunk. And, it, it, you know, the provenance was there. It made sense to me. So I paid quite a bit for it. But, you know, as someone who'd been in sports memorabilia my whole life, the Ruth autograph is, you know, that's on your Mount Rushmore. It's your Holy Grail. It's Holy Grail, yeah. What and was I, it on? Uh, it was on a World Series program, but okay. not from a year the Yankees played in the World Series. Huh. So it was a 1931 World Series, Cardinals uh, Athletics. And so it was, you know, it made it to where if it was a Yankees World Series program, you're talking 5,000 and up, <laughs> you know, re- just regardless of condition, really. But this this was would not worth that much. But you know, I sold it, made a made a little bit of money, and now I've you know, I can scratch that roof off of my off of my list. And the most profitable find ever would be a bunch of perfume. I uh, I can't say the name of the online retailer, but there is one that sells high end, uh, just high end stuff, all kinds of stuff, and they have men's, women's, everything. And I don't know if they still do it. But they used to do a pop-up outlet store. And they did it in Louisville, Kentucky. And if you can figure this out pretty easily, if, from based on what I'm telling you, I'm going to make you work for it, though. <laughs> um, and so they, they had a, their, nearest, their, their big warehouse was just outside of Louisville. So they would bring their overstock and their returns and do a one-month pop-up in a huge retail store, like, say, a closed-down Circuit City or something. And I walk in. When you, never, you never know what it's going to be. I mean, it can be, you know... A, a cart full of $5,000 dresses. It can be, you know, a bunch of earplugs. You just never know. And so I walk in one day and every day is, you know, just a matter of buy it, take it home, put it on eBay, just sell it instantly and repeat the process. And the previous day had been Oakley uh, ski goggles at $5 a pair, new in box. Hmm. And I bought, I think I bought like 40 something pair and sold all of them that night. I walk in with my hefty, you know, my little pile of cash. And I'm excited. And there's this perfume that is no bigger than this little bitty bottle. It weighs, I think, an eighth of an ounce. Wow. I'm like, I pick up the little box and they have hundreds of boxes of them. So I pick it up and I scan it with my Amazon app. And the lowest price on Amazon was $42. So I go to eBay. I'm like, okay, let's check this. Lowest price on eBay is like $35. And then I look at the price and realize they're $3 a box. Wow. Oh, wow. And so I, uh, this place didn't allow shopping carts or anything like that. And so I found just a cardboard shipping box they had under a table 
and literally just start supermarket sweeping these things into my box. <laughs> I love your and references. You said Circuit City and Supermarket Sweep in a paragraph. And unless you grew up in the 90s, do you know what Circuit City is? I know what Circuit okay, City Okay, do you know is. what Supermarket Sweep is? No. Okay. So it's a game show where people would run through a grocery store and try to see how much they can get in a cart and their value. Anyways, it's just, it's, I, have, I love Brad's references. <laughs> And, and by the way, I, I was I was watching it not 20 minutes before we started this. It's on, it's on Antenna TV for two hours every day. It's fantastic. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, and so I just, you know, I'm just blowing them in there fast as I can. And obviously a frenzy ensues. And when it was all said and done, I think I had 338 bottles of it. Wow. And I sold out in under a month. And it was, it was over 10,000 in sales. Wow. And so that was the biggest, most, because my buy cost on it was, right at a thousand and that, that was my most profitable ever but that's not nearly as exciting as you know ruth autograph aba yeah. ball but so I, I know you've you know you've been transparent about organization and you've been transparent about <laughs> bad buys and everything but hard to hide it <laughs> no no I, I get that and we all have our downfalls so talk to me about you do some things really well and i you know we always want to ask people like what are their best practices so if you could you know get it down to three what are some three things that you think would help others know like this is something you should be doing and whether it's new or an experienced seller i mean my first thing that i tell people is you just have to put the time in i've been fortunate enough to be on my own and able to you know if i want to go to goodwill for 8 hours straight that's exactly what i'll do and there's a lot of, you know people have families and other circumstances and you can't you can't just expect to walk into Goodwill, take a lap through, find this shirt, go home and sell it for $90. That's just not how it works. And so that's the first thing I tell people is you got to put the time in. You've got to wake up at 5 a.m. on Saturdays and go to yard sales. And you've got to just put the effort out there and it will come back to you. Um, and you got to be patient. You know, it's... I, I, I sit here and scream at the computer every day telling people to pay me, you know, telling, you know, it's... But the reality is that you can't, you can't make it to where you're relying on that. You know, like you, there's items awaiting payment that like, you know, you've got to get that payment or you are screwed. That's, you can't, you know, you've got to, you've got to be able to do this where it's not all or nothing. It's not do or die. You got And so that's why, you know, when people say, I'm going to start reselling. I'll quit my job tomorrow. That makes my skin crawl because mm -hmm. you need to, you know, baby steps, you need to learn the ropes, you need to learn your lessons, take your lumps. And eventually it'll all, you know, I mean, it's, and like, it'll all make sense. To me, it's hard when people say, you know, what, what do you look for in Goodwill? It's like, or what do you do when you get to a thrift store? It's so hard because I, the first thing I do is I just take a, a lap around without, you know, breaking stride, really just looking for the obvious for, for, you know, things that anyone would know to grab. And so it's, you know, you can't really teach that without just, repetition and so that's that's really the main advice i give people is you got to put the time in and you got to be you know don't keep your expectations too high and you don't have to put a bunch of money into this to get started you can you can start off reasonably there's no need to to sink in a huge investment so if you just keep your expectations low keep your you know investment low and just take your time it, it can and will work out so patience definitely yeah you it's really patience. all it is it's patience okay. i mean just Patience and the ability to know that, you know, that you have to be able to look at yourself and, and know when you're, you screwed up. Like I said, about cutting bait on stuff that you just donate, you know, or, you know, you got to be able to look at your stuff realistically. You know, I'm a huge Kentucky basketball fan. I, I, I put a higher value on Kentucky stuff when I look at it. 
but I have to know when I sell that on the internet that that's not a factor. You know, it's something that I have to be realistic of what this item's actually worth, or I'm never going to get it. And so, you know, it's just being being practical and stuff like that. Really simple. You know, I wish I you know had enough to teach a course on, but it's really you know my advice on eBay and reselling is pretty simple. Patience and being practical. But it's so valid because, you know, (laughs) especially when you're new, you want to, you see other people on Instagram and you see people on YouTube and, you you know, you definitely want to be there. But a lot of those people have been doing that for a long time. I mean, we're talking about, you're talking, you've been reselling since the early 90s. I mean, this this took time. So totally get it. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's it's definitely one of those things. It just takes time. It's really, that's it. Okay. That's good. Well, since you're giving some advice right now, um, I like to ask our our guests this question. So I'm a teacher, so I get the opportunity pretty much every day to to talk to the young minds, right? And one of the things yeah. that I, I find um, kind of a a privilege is I, I try to and get to try and impart some wisdom. So if you had the opportunity to impart wisdom to somebody, like the one life lesson that you wish anybody should know, um, and it doesn't have to be like just young people; it could be young, old. Uh, middle age, whatever. Like, but well, what's the one thing you wish that you could just tell the world that they should do? I mean, just or honestly, live. just do do what makes you happy. I mean, I I can't put it down to one word, but if like that's that's what this all this whole RV thing boiled down to is I wasn't super happy with what where my life was, and you know, my dad had just died at sixty five, and you think you're going to live forever, and you realize you're not, and it's just if I hadn't done what at that time it would make me happy i wouldn't be sitting here right now being the happiest i've ever been so it's you know it's just one of those things that if you do what makes you happy and you you know it's the old saying if you do if 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 it if it, if it makes you happy it never feels like work mm-hmm. and that's really i never this never feels like a job it, it if i'm in a dumpster or if i'm scanning every cd in goodwill i'm just as happy so that's awesome. That's good Great. to hear. That's just a constant theme we hear. I, I feel like a lot of individuals that go to full-time reselling, it's not just the reselling, but it's the fact that now they get to enjoy what they do. They didn't have to wait till they're 60 mm-hmm. or they're 70. They can travel now. They can have the time freedom, whether with their family or their girlfriend or their spouse, whatever it is. So that, yeah. that's so good to hear. Episode 76, The College Picker. Well, thanks for having me on the podcast. My name is Eric. Most people in the resale space know me as CP or the college picker because uh, that's kind of when I started reselling was when I was in college. That was seven years ago. Well, seven years ago was not when you started college. It's when you started doing YouTube. Uh, I want to say it was like 20, 2012 or 2011, something like that. Okay. okay. Wow. Maybe, yeah, maybe seven years ago. I don't know. All right. So if you're brand new and listening, all right. So the college picker on Instagram, the college picker on YouTube. Are you anywhere else, Eric? Um, that's the, the yeah, the two platforms that I use. Okay. I'm on Twitter, but I just have the handle. <laughs> yeah. I don't use it. I get it. So tell me about. So I watched your. Actually, I did watch your video yesterday from 2013 or something like that. It was, it was back in the day. You had like headphones on. Your. Do you remember that video? Is it like the first one that I ever posted? Yeah, the very first one. Yeah. So I filmed it on like a webcam that's exactly like this, which is a Logitech uh, C, C910 or a C920, something like that. And just because it was a little bit better than the webcam that mm. was on the computer, I had used that. I think my roommate had one. And the audio was better because it was stereo instead of 
I don't know, the bad stuff that's integrated on the computers. But yeah, I filmed it with like the exact setup that I have right now. Yeah, but it's a little updated, just a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's bad, and it's I'm in a room. I'm in a room where I lived with like a bunch of dudes, and it was like really messy, and we just we weren't very clean. It was just a bunch of college kids. It was awesome though. So tell us a little bit why you started reselling, and when did you start? Because I remember on that video watching the eBay pages, and they look pretty antiquated. So how long have you been reselling for? Um, I actually, ha- I would say. 2008, 2007, actually. Okay. Would uh, would probably be where I would say the root of it actually starting was in 2007. And that's when uh, me and my roommates, an undergraduate, decided to go get our motorcycle licenses because parking was so expensive. To, to get a parking permits for cars on campus. And it was so hard to get a space. Mm. So the motorcycle parking was always really close to class and it was open and it was only I think like $40 a year for a permit. Nice. So we went and got our motorcycle licenses. I bought a bike off of Craigslist for, I want to say a thousand dollars, maybe $900. I put a little money into it, about $200, fixed it up, rode it for a couple of months and I sold it for about a two or $300 profit selling it back on a Craigslist. So I was like, well, how did this work? How did I buy something for this much and then sell it for this much? And we really got into uh, motorcycles at the time, which is kind of weird because usually you start small, not with something so big. Yeah, that's kind of crazy because normally, yeah, you think of people who start reselling and it's typically smaller things going into thrift stores or garage sales or things like that. Um, And then I've always looked at the people who do like car flips or motor vehicle flips as being like high level. Yeah. Like low risk is where you start, not something that you're that has title work and insurance and moving parts and anything, number of things that can go wrong. But yeah, it was a little bit backwards and it was it was definitely not. Um, not planned. It was just something that we figured out is like, well, if we just hound Craigslist and keep hitting refresh, we can find good deals in motorcycles. Cause I was in Tampa and there's a pretty high population of people there in a pretty good motorcycle culture, I guess, to where the, the market was, the, I found a market that I didn't even know existed. Yeah, that's crazy. Were you already kind of like mechanically inclined? Did you fix cars and stuff ahead of time, or did you learn? No, I, I, I kind of learned as I went. I've always been kind of like tinkery and not afraid to get my hands dirty or to read and to learn. There wasn't really DIY YouTube videos, but I would dig into forums and read like problems with this transmission might need to have like this part tweaked or whatever, but we wouldn't be buying bikes that were completely trashed. It would just be like body work or maybe carbs need to be cleaned or really simple things. Like there are a lot of bolt on bolt off parts. So you could just get a bike that maybe, and people drop bikes a lot. So Mm. it's really cosmetic parts, like superficial parts that you could get off of another bike or buy the parts off of eBay or, or from a junkyard or whatever. And um, fix the bikes up and then flip them on back on Craigslist with better pictures, or you just hold on to the bike longer rather than taking some college kids lowball offer. All right, so talk to us about Etsy a little bit because that's the one I have no experience. That, neither of you guys do Etsy, right? No, and I don't know. Yeah. I know a few people in the reselling community. Etsy is something that I feel like grew, and then it just people stopped talking about it. And there's yeah. some that still do it. So, what are the advantages so of Etsy? Go ahead. What are you gonna say? Way back in the YouTube days, uh, I had never heard of Etsy either. And this one guy, Brett Ott, 
he's on Instagram. Uh, Brent Ott, sorry, not Brent. Brent Ott. He uh, is on Instagram as O Unit Productions, and he's kind of quiet, but he used to be a YouTube guy way back in the day, and he's the one who kind of got me into Etsy. And it, it's it's good because the market there it kind of commands a premium compared to eBay. Like it has a different vibe to it, more of a boutique kind of feel. So you can, you can ask a little bit more, I feel like. So and I've gotten mo- more than what you would comp on eBay in the past. So nice. Cause when I think of Etsy, I think of, cause my wife gets stuff on Etsy all the time and it's like decorations for the house that somebody mm-hmm. like hand makes and you're doing clothes on, on Etsy. Is that yeah, it's almost synonymous with most people with clothes or sorry, with handmade, yeah. handmade items or uh, print on demands, but the whole entire website is vintage or handmade goods hmm. is kind of what you can do on Etsy. Nice. And it's, it, isn't it the lowest seller fees out of all the platforms? Yeah. It had, at one point it was under 5%. I think they raised it to 5%. Uh, and then their stock shot up once they raise their fees, but I, I want to say it's a uh, 5%. Okay. So would you recommend, so I, you know, I, I love nineties gear and I have a ton of nineties gear. It's all on eBay though. Would you recommend I shift it, some of it to Etsy or uh, what are your thoughts on that? Do you have, the, do you have all the photographs stored somewhere or would you have to I do. All the I do. No, no, I have them. Mm, yeah. I would say it, it it, ha- it has its benefits. Like you're, you're saying some of its benefits. Uh, they have some cool features. Like for instance, one of your feedback you can get, they can post a picture of themselves with the item huh. hmm. and it's a feedback picture. So it can be, I've had people like wearing a Jersey and posting a picture, which is just, it adds like a little, a touch of personality to it hmm. uh, that eBay doesn't have. And Etsy also archives everything ever. So I can go back to like my early sales from like 2014 and see all of my photos. Um, that listing is already created. So for instance, if I sold a vintage 49ers uh, hat in 2015 and I have like a similar one, instead of there, there's no sell one like this feature, but if I've sold that item in the past, I can copy that listing. It copies all the tags the description and I could just change the pictures and bam, like that listing is pretty much just a swap. Nice. Well, I'm super interested. I, Cause I, I really been wanting to jump into Etsy. I just don't want it, to put in the it's word not fast. So like it's not yeah. fast money. And I don't by any means, I'm not, I'm not wealthy off of Etsy. No, but I get that. It's fun and it's more boutique and it's, I enjoy it more so than like the turn and burn of Amazon or eBay. Okay. If I could just have like a 4,000 item Etsy store and be retired and just do that for fun, like that would be great. But you were saying the, the, the eyes that are on Etsy aren't as much as on eBay then is that no, if you look at, um, traffic, um, United States website, traffic, top 50 websites, I think eBay is like 12 or 13 and Etsy, I think is in like the forties or the thirties or the forties. So yeah, they're, there's the eyes. They're not there yet. Uh, traffic wise, but it's yeah. So it's still a very prominent website throughout the world. Even like I get a lot of sales that go overseas. Oh, so there is global. Okay. Oh no, yeah. 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 All right. I just wonder, I just sold the chargers logo seven from the nineties to some guy in New Zealand. Nice. So I was like, all right, good for you. <laughs> is that cool? shipping? Huh? Yeah. Yeah. GSP? GSP. Oh yeah. GSP. Yeah. I love GSP. How do you feel about GSP? Are you, do you use GSP? Yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's good to just have to ship off to Kentucky rather than 
filling out customs forms and having Japanese jackets bounce back three times. So, okay. Hey, let's talk. Let's talk. I mean, we should, do we, we shared a lot about that in the podcast. Yeah. No, but I don't so what are you, what are your biggest takeaways? So in case you're new to the podcast, so college picker, uh, the college picker, uh, found a Levi's. What, what, what exactly was the jacket? I don't remember the exact it was a type. type two blanket lined, uh, Levi's jacket from like 1951 or 1952, I think is how it was dated based on the way that the the red label was. Okay. So you have, you have like three or four videos on this one, right? Yeah. On your YouTube channel. Cause it's given such a headache and it, I don't know. Well, when I found it, I had to make a video about finding it. And <sighs> that's when everyone said it was fake and it was a LVC. It was a retro. It wasn't an original one. And just, Yeah. So how's it? Okay. So that's the thing I always talk about on social media, social media. You always feel whenever I post or do anything, there's always somebody that knows more than I do. Right. Or somebody says that's fake or somebody says that's wrong. So did oh, you, and there's a difference between knowing more and then people that just like don't know anything. And they're just saying it's fake because they just don't want to see you succeed no. because that's what it more was. It's like people that really don't, it's someone I've never even heard of before. I've never seen their handle because that video has gotten traction. Okay. It's getting shown to people that don't know who I am and that I wouldn't make a video about a jacket saying that it's worth like $2,000 if I honestly didn't do my research and figure out this thing is likely worth at least $2,000. And for them to just say, no, that's a, re- that's a retro. It was LBC. It's fake or whatever. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> I just remember when you had that fine, I was, I was blown away. That's, that's one of those that it should catch traction. Eventually you should get oh, contacted. I am convinced that is the highest clothing item sale on Etsy until I can be proven until somebody shows me otherwise. Like I don't think a clothing item has been sold on Etsy for higher amount than that. What did you end up getting for it? $5,722. Nice. And then when you broke down the fees though, so you have a whole video on breaking down the fees, so I don't want to go through it. What was your final like takeaway? Like, like 49 or something. Okay. That's yeah. still good. Gosh, that's <laughs> good. Like so you should be like a spokesman for Etsy. Like you should do a commercial for them and say like, look at how much money you can make selling clothes on Etsy. And then Levi's would come after me. <laughs> like I'm representing Levi's. Oh man. Oh, we could. I get, think we well, know where that's going. Yeah, right? we know. <laughs> so, hey, so what are your three takeaways from that whole ordeal with the Levi's jacket? Um, don't take your. Be- well, everyone should know this. If you if you can hold out on the first offer, like you don't need the money right now to pay rent or buy groceries for your family, like don't take the first offer on something that you're not really sure about the market. Uh, especially if you have it listed high and you get a, a, a DM or a personal message on eBay saying like, Hey, will you consider like taking $3,000 instead of $5,000? Don't necessarily take that first offer. Cause that could be indicative of a reseller, you know? Mm-hmm. So if you can hold out on that first initial offer, which I already had plans to hold out because I listed it without measurements, knowing that, a reseller would buy it regardless of the measurements, but a buyer would want to know the measurements. Huh. So it kind of weeded out the resellers that's an right then and there. That's the, an interesting, uh, that's a new segment on our show. <laughs> tip of the week. Yeah. That's a good tip. Like, that, that's good. Yeah. And, and you'd only probably do that for like really, really high end stuff. Yeah, exactly. You're not going to do that for, for just like a Pearl snapshot or something. It was just because this thing had such little, there were no comps. There was just actives. And then there was stuff on Rakuten. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Rakuten. It's like a Japanese global 
mm-hmm. uh, buy sell site. Hmm. Not exactly like eBay because it's more um, it's not bidding; it's just buy it now stuff. But it's uh, just a e-commerce site in Japan, and there was a couple actives on Rakuten, and I had to kind of take into consideration condition and sizing and everything. And then being the only one on Etsy as well, kind of was in the equation because there were a couple of them on eBay when I had listed it. Yeah, no, that's a that's a super awesome thing. I mean, that that whole story we followed it on the podcast for a while just because it was so incredible. So no, I was listening. To, I'm on like episode 47 or 48 or 49 maybe, and um, I keep hearing the updates on it. <laughs> it's like <laughs> Orlando flashback. Keeps saying, Orlando keeps saying it was 5200. I'm like, no, it was 5700. Oh, did oh. I really? Oh, I totally messed up. It's okay. There's so many things I've messed up on the podcast. It's all good. Oh, it's all good. So, all right. So, what, talk to us real quick. The shipping. All right. So, what it, best practice for shipping when it's an expensive item like that going overseas? Yeah. As long as it's under $2,500, you can ship it as you would ship anything else. Once it goes over $2,500, you need to do a lot more customs, form information, uh, harmonizing codes. Um, what is harmonizing I, codes? It's customs jargon that <laughs> okay. it's like picking what the item exactly is. Okay. Okay. They, they have, they, they have so many classifications of everything and you have to, I went into like jackets, uh, soft textile jackets and denim or cotton based or something like you have to just go into this d- tree of classification and um, I would just skip USPS altogether and just go with FedEx and then call FedEx and l- and ask them to be your broker or your representative. And it's only $10 in order oh, wow. for them to, to, to do the uh, export data. And you, you basically get ported into FedEx's um, website, for a portal, and you can get a customer service rep on the phone to walk you through everything instead of trying to do it through the government um, exporting you have to create more logins and exporting uh, website stuff from the government and it just makes it a lot more complicated to try to do it yourself 